This is where normal comes to die. Mediocrity meets its final demise, and the status quo is unabashedly dismantled. Welcome to Reinvention Radio. Now, here's your host, Steve Olsher. Alrighty, welcome to Reinvention Radio. Steve Olsher, hanging out with a lovely Marigolay. Hello, Marigolay. Hello. Richie Oche. What's up, baby? Did you change your accent? I did, I did. I went, uh, I did. I just wanted to see if you guys were paying attention there. It's like the, the I didn't inflection. notice anything. See, Mary didn't notice nothing. <laughs> nothing. She oh, just kind of blocks out the first three minutes. <laughs> she figures, yeah, about 90 seconds, 120, 100, okay, now it's my time. Now I can Yes. Yeah. Now the show will begin. Now the show will begin. Awesome. So welcome to Reinvention Radio. If you join us for the very first time, welcome, welcome, welcome. You picked a hell of a show to join us for. And um, man, I got to tell you, I I have read uh, a lot over the years in terms of people's stories of reinvention. And uh, actually, if you just if you just Google the word reinvention, you see all sorts of interesting things that come up. Uh, Just do that just for for an exercise at some point. Matter of fact, that's what I got to try to figure out. Richie, is there is there something we can talk about from an API standpoint where we can just like build Stories of reinvention into our blog, so it just auto populates. I got to figure that one out. Maybe somebody knows. API they could, or I don't know. We'll figure that one out. AI. But some I, I don't know. Something we'll figure that well, one out. But there's so many interesting stories of reinvention out there. You know, people who started at point A in their life and now they're at point B, C, D, E, F, G, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, and this gentleman that we have on today uh, certainly would be a, a poster child for reinvention. And, and what I've really come to learn, I think, more than anything else, is that yesterday just doesn't define you. You know, I mean, thank God. Right. (laughs) I know. Thank God for that, because reality is that life starts over right now and it starts over again right now. Right. And we have the choice with what to do in this moment and in literally every moment that follows. Um, And and this man, John David Mann, literally man, Mr. Mann. (laughs) That's funny. I call my kids Mr. Mann. Like, Mr. Mann, what are you doing? Yeah. So uh, (laughs) I wonder if John actually gets that. But uh, this gentleman absolutely personifies what it means to to reinvent one's life over and over again, and so actually, Wade, let's uh, let's just bring up uh, Mister Man <laughs> himself, do you, John. Do you have kids? I, I do. And he has yes, four. Mister Man, and so are they. Yeah, right. I know okay. that's funny. Yeah, Mister Man, that's, and and I do that. Not, and some people think, well, you just do that when you're upset with the kids. No, I just do that all the time. I'm like, what's up, Mister Man? How was your day? So yeah, that's uh, that's, that's great. Right. You are actually Mister Man. All right, so. For those who don't know your story, let, let's just start there in your own words because there, there's a lot of ground here that obviously we could cover with you. And, and of course, the current work that you're doing uh, as well is pretty dang amazing. Uh, but I want people to understand kind of a, a step or two or 28 back where you came <laughs> from. So I, I, I don't need you to go back to the womb, but let's, uh, let's at least set the, the groundwork here for why we're having this conversation today. We'll go back to the living womb. There we it's, go. it's a long and twisted road. Uh, so, but yes, I'll make it a short and twisted road. I started out in life as a kid uh, in classical music. My father was a choral conductor. I was a cellist. I was a concert cellist. I was a composer. That was I, I won an award for composing when I was thirteen. I was wow. that was my path. I was going to be a composer. Um, but you know, a funny thing happened on the way to that. Uh, I got interested in nutrition and food and wellness and whole health and that whole sphere. Uh, I hung out with the macrobiotic world in Boston for a decade. I was teaching nutrition and, and all this stuff. And through that, I got involved in the world of um, a business, a business and sales. Um, when I was 17 years old, I started a high school with friends of mine. Um, I, I was in the business world for a couple of decades and, and, and did well there. But 
it wasn't really my, or I didn't feel it was really my native constitution. It wasn't what I was really plopped on the planet to do. Um, and, and that you know, eventually turned out to be, or it seems to be, writing stories, writing books. Mm-hmm. And uh, so here I am over the age of 50. First 50 years was for practice, I think. Mm-hmm. And uh, now I'm doing what I do. Yeah, I like this guy already. Yeah, it's funny. It seems like all the people <laughs> I like the most, they they all have something similar to me. That if you looked at a LinkedIn profile, you'd be like, "What are they doing?" But <laughs> it's I'm like, the same but way. at the same time, you go, "Wow, that's an awesome life." Though at the same time, but like that unemployable, like if you were trying to get a job, like what is he? What's he trying to do? But from real life experience and enjoying life, like that's exactly what you want to be yeah. doing. Yeah, I did the same thing. Steve, you probably can say you did something like that, too. For sure. Because I worked on Wall Street straight out of high school for nine years, and I called that my college education. And then became a holistic health practitioner, a realtor, did all sorts of different things, and now I just want to speak and write. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, obviously with the storied background and all the different things that you've done, how do you – what do you tell people in terms of – because there's – there's a lot of folks out there who feel like they have to just kind of stick to one thing and that that's, you know, you want to be an expert in something. Everybody tells you, you know, you got to you got to establish that expertise. You got to put your, you know, your flag in the ground there and, and stake your play. I mean, it's like what, what do you tell folks who potentially want to do something that is very different from what they're from what they're doing now? How, how do you suggest that they explore doing something that may be, you know, 180 degrees from what they're doing right now? Yeah, I mean, it, it, first of all, there's no. I mean, the idea of a career, career for life, of career constancy, is 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 so much uh, less viable now than it was, you mm-hmm. know, 50 years ago. Uh, patchwork careers like like yours and mine are, are are you know more the norm than 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 they ever were. But you know, I I think I love setting goals. I think setting goals is great. I think making plans is great, even though they say that's the way you make God laugh. And I think I've been keeping. Um, his godness in stitches for my whole life because I've been making all these great plans and, and none of them <laughs> work out that way. Mm-hmm. I think making plans is great, but I think it's also essential that you keep at least one ear open because uh, no one knows you better than you do. No one knows your path better than you, except for the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's people out there in your environment who know you better than you know yourself. And there are circumstances that will come along and tap you in the shoulder or smack you in the cheek or bop you in the head, and, and it's easy to ignore them. But, but there are circumstances constantly whispering at you or shouting at you saying, try this, try this, because I think you would be really great over here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're all musicians here, too. We all play music and love music. We, haven't, we weren't composers yeah. at 13, at least yeah, I don't not, know about you, not but, published. But, yeah, yeah, my orchestral uh, symphony and 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 what what I compose, I I, I they actually the the Greek because what did you you get that was like it was played by the Greek Philharmonic or something what you wrote at age thirteen I mean that's pretty uh, impressive I don't know yeah. about you Richie but I didn't get to that level yeah that's I mean that's amazing <laughs> but what I was going to say though is we all could probably attest to sometimes you sing the song and sometimes the song's singing you, right? It's, you think you're going to write the song and the song starts writing you. Tom Petty even said something about that. Not recently. No, but they, they showed a clip of him. Too soon, too soon. No, they showed a clip of him saying that he would just, he really wrote songs from hearing them being given to him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Is that's that awesome? Yeah. Is that yeah, how you, you feel know, people, about your writing? People ask me all the time. The same thing. I would Absolutely. Think. You know, yeah. people always people say to me the same thing they say to Stephen King, which I find extremely flattering. <laughs> uh, where do you get your ideas? Well, you know, I think that that. Uh, in writing books or writing anything, writing blog posts, um, and it's probably the same thing for starting businesses. Where do you get your ideas? I don't think I get ideas. I think ideas get me. Mm-hmm. I mean, ideas come find you. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ideas bark at you from the street. Uh, uh, I think just think that, you know, it, again, it goes back to that thing that life is whispering at you and shouting at you. We just tend to have our hands over our ears going, la, 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 la. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, that's, I think. And here's a case in point. I did not set out to be a writer, to be an author of books. I set out to make ends meet doing something that I just happened to be able to do, which was edit other people's stuff. Mm-hmm. I spent over 10 years editing other people's stuff, and I sort of backed into this whole idea of, of writing books because people would come to me and say, hey, listen, I got this book I want to write, but I don't really know how to write it, and maybe you could help me. And that, that's what turned into what I do now, which is being a co-author of books. Um, but again, it wasn't my plan. Um, it's, you know, I have a dear co-author, Bob Berg, co-author of The Go-Giver. And I like to say Bob Berg ruined my career because mm-hmm. my plan was to go to Hollywood and be a screenwriter. And Bob came along with this idea for a book and asked me to write it. And so I did and with him. And it turned out to be a bestseller that's, that's made my career. Wasn't my plan, but it's something that came along and whispered at me. Mm-hmm. And actually, to to that end, I don't think we did. Uh, at least, I didn't do a very good job of positioning, you know, who you are, and so far as writing and so on. I mean, you said you're an author and this that, and the other, but I don't think we put enough <clears throat> Richieism around a context, you know, in terms of just saying, yeah, I mean, Jesus, you you've you're, what over two million books now uh, that you've yeah. authored or co-authored are, are in print. So you've sold over two million books, uh, of which The Go Giver, of course, is uh, one of the more popular books. But what are what are some of the other books that you've uh, either authored or co-authored, or maybe even ghostwritten, that, that people uh, might know? Um, Chaucer's Canterbury Tales. I wrote that. I'll, no, I didn't really. Um, the Go-Giver. The, Go-Giver the Bible! Series, there's been a, you know, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was me. That was me. Uh, the Go-Giver has a series now. We've got another one coming next year, and that's, that's uh, probably the best known. I also wrote a bunch of books with a former Navy SEAL sniper, Brandon Webb. Mm. Um, Brandon was one of the guys who uh, first boots in the ground in Afghanistan after 9-11, later went on to kind of rewrite the SEAL sniper course and teach that course for a few years and and uh, was sort of responsible or partially responsible for a whole generation of, of snipers. I'm not a military guy, so this was very fish out of water for me. Mm-hmm. But um, but I love the guy. I love working with him. We sure. click, believe it or not, and yeah. uh, in our values. And so we've written like five books together. Yeah. Um, and that's just that's been a blast. Awesome. All right, we're gonna have to take a quick break here on Reinvention Radios. We're talking to John David Mann, and a uh, lot, a lot, a lot more to cover here, uh, as we're gonna be doing. Uh, well, at least our best to to reinvent writing, because you know, look, reality is in today's day and age with uh, the way that we communicate. And we were actually talking about this a little bit uh, as far as just, you know, the, the sense of community and everything else built around just this whole uh, electronic world that we live in, you know, going back to the written word uh, still, I think, holds significant power. So we're going to be talking more with John David Mann here about reinventing writing on Reinvention Radio. More right after this.
You were born to do one amazing thing, but most people spend a lifetime trying to identify what it is. If you're at a job you don't like or are unemployed, if you're in a state of transition or just can't shake that nagging feeling that you were meant and made to do something extraordinary, the Reinvention Workshop is exactly what you need. Led by award-winning self-help author Steve Ulcher, the Reinvention Workshop will forever change your life. The Reinvention Workshop takes you step-by-step through Steve's proven formula that has helped so many get on the right path and be clear about what they were born to do. Take the first step for realizing the life you deserve and desire by visiting TheReinventionWorkshop.com today. No more delays, no more denial. Reconnect with your true self. Learn to live with purpose and conviction and become who you were born to be. The world is waiting for you. What are you waiting for? Log on to TheReinventionWorkshop.com. That's TheReinventionWorkshop.com. And now, back to Reinvention Radio. Here's your host, Steve Ulsher. Alrighty, welcome back to Reinvention Radio. Steve Ulsher hanging out with the lovely Mary Valet. Hello, Mary Valet. Richie Ote. What's up, baby? Hello, hello. And we are talking to the one and only John David Mann here as we are reinventing writing. Let me ask you a question. So, John, before the break, I was talking. And by the way, can I just call you JD? Or, uh, or what should I call you here? <laughs> By all means, by all means. Or just Mr. Man, please. Yes. Um, so um, so my, my question and what we were talking about, uh, actually, that wasn't even a conversation before the break. I was just sort of on my soapbox uh, suggesting that we should talk about uh, the whole difference here in terms of how we communicate. As we look at, I mean, uh, look, it, it's very yeah. much an electronic society right now. I mean, we post something on Facebook. Sometimes people read it. We post something on Twitter. Less times people read it, et cetera, et cetera. And all of this communication seems to be going on electronically. Is there still a place for physical uh, something like books, just in general? I mean, obviously writing is still writing. It doesn't matter where you put it. It's just a medium. But in terms of physical hardcover copy type books, something you can hold in your hand, what's your current take on, on writing as a medium in terms of it being distributed in some sort of physical form? Yeah, I, mean, I think it's. I think it's never going to go away. But you know, the first thing is, I was hearing years ago, uh, some years ago, people were saying when email was really on the rise. I heard people saying, oh, "Everyone, you know, the, the art of writing is in the decline. People don't read anymore; they just email." And I and I was like, "Are you kidding me? Are you serious? People write more than they ever wrote before. Mm-hmm. They read more than they ever read before. It's just a different kind of reading and writing." Mm-hmm. But we're super literate. I mean, this culture. Writes and reads constantly. It may be text messages, it may be blog posts, it may be Facebook posts, whatever it is, but we're reading and writing constantly, which I think is awesome, because I think reading and writing is, is one of the greatest ways we develop as a civilization. The problem, there's a problem for me with the, the, the platform, the, the increased accessibility of the platform. I mean, I remember when, when desktop publishing first came out in the, uh, in the 1980s, and suddenly anybody could make page layout, and, and so everybody did. <laughs> and you started seeing all these flyers and posters that look like ransom notes, you know, people using all these different fonts. There's this thing that happens when you democratize technology, which is that suddenly everybody can communicate, and so the bar is greatly lowered. And so temporarily, there's this flood of thoughtless communication. And I think that's part of what's going on right now. We have this flood of fairly thoughtless communication uh, through social media, which you know we're trying to grapple with now, and you know, every time you turn around, there's a new aspect of which, which, whether it's fake news or Russian influence or this or that or hate, hate speech or bullying, it's just thoughtless communication. It's not that we've suddenly become worse people; it's that we're suddenly 
the the tools of communication are so much more available that we're having to grow up a little bit more than we ever had before. But I think that's a good thing because we're going to. We're doing it. It's just growing pains. Uh, I, we're never going to lose the need for physical, tangible books or physical, tangible reading assets. And I'll give you an example. Like I was looking at some sales reports from a few books that I just brought out in the last year, and I look at the uh, numbers of hardcover sold, ebook sold, audiobook sold, and it's so fascinating. I mean, it's like watching the first three horses in a horse race. They, they're neck and neck, and one goes is ahead, one's behind, but they're all in the race, and it's because you've got people who like to listen, people who like to touch and people who like to see. And that's always going to be the way it is. We're auditory, we're visual, we're, we're tactile. And so, you know, the fact that there are all these different ways to get a book out there, to get a story out there, it's, it's wonderful. But it's, all, it's just all storytelling. And it's always going to be all storytelling. It's interesting you say that. I, I talked with Mary about that the other day, that we're, I've, I've been able to predict who's going to win the election after the primaries literally every single time. And my oh. friends thought I was crazy and, and uh, like, Oh, you, what do you mean? He's going to win. Da, 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 da. They thought I was nuts. And yeah, it was yeah. for the very same reason you just said, we're visual audio and kinesthetic people. And you kind of compare the people and you get the first one visual. They were kind of a wash, right? The second yeah. one, auditory they're kind of awash but which one moved you emotionally he did yeah. i didn't say which one yeah. did you like more i said which one moved you emotionally mm-hmm. some liked him more some didn't but regardless he moved you more and maybe the thought of a woman president or her moved you emotionally but she didn't same thing happened with mitt with obama and the and to the last part yeah. of that point is to your thoughtless communication we elect what we are, not what we want. And we are thoughtless communication right now. Mm. We were hope. Well, well, you said something beautiful there, too, which is that, you know, you don't, you don't really elect an idea. You elect a feeling. You, you vote with your feeling. And, and to me, that's just evidence of a basic truth, which is the way you teach anything is through a story. And the way any story works is through feelings. I mean, ideas are magnificent. They're the, they're the content. Well, you know, but but I, feelings are the carrier carrier of ideas. So, you know, if it's if it doesn't hit the gut, it's not going to go the distance. Well, and to your point, this storytelling kind of happens all over in different spots, omni channels. So you have to be a unique storyteller because you're kind of also living in a world of guilty till proven innocent. Mm-hmm. Kind of, someone just states a <laughs> claim. Yeah. It's they kind of believe it to be truth until you're proved different. Yeah. Yeah. And that, yeah. and that's definitely an area of yeah. your of expertise. So, can you can you actually speak to that for a second? Because I think it's a really great point in terms of this thoughtless communication versus storytelling and so on. What what do you tell people now, and in, insofar as writing in general? Because I'm sure you have this conversation quite often. So, what what do you tell folks in terms of how to be an effective writer in today's uh, age of technology? Yeah, because the idea, if you want to be a good writer, you want to be better, you want to improve, and you have to really look at what's the idea of good. And to me, good is effective. A good writer isn't necessarily the one who has a bigger vocabulary or uses a cooler word or a neater verb in that place or gets the grammar right or whatever. And I'm a stickler for that. I'm totally fastidious. If I were Oscar and Felix, I would totally be Felix. Mm. Um, but, but I like Felix. <laughs> 
Yeah, Felix is cool. I mean, what can I say? I mean, I want Oscar for a friend, and I have him for a friend. But a good writer isn't isn't a more effective, you know, isn't technically the more polished writer. It's it's what are you? How are you landing in the other person's gut? How are you making the person feel? Uh, I, I write parables, and parables are simple stories that convey an idea or, or a principle. And a lot of people say, "Oh God, I hate parables." You talk to a lot of people in business, say, "Oh crap, I never read parables." They, they, they you know, parables are like hell. And the reason they say that, I understand that. The reason they say that is that there are so many parables out there that are like PowerPoint presentations with a couple of names put on them as characters. Mm-hmm. I mean, and they're boring. And let's just face it, call a spade a spade. It, it, it's, it's, you can't teach with just facts and, and PowerPoints. And it's got to be, you've got you've to move people. You've got to mm-hmm. touch pain and struggle. And, and if you don't touch pain and struggle, I mean, all story, I, I love your thing, reinvention, because... I'm a big believer in storytelling, and the essence of every story is reinvention, because every story is about someone has a problem or wants something, and there's something in the way. There's a struggle. There's a problem. And the story is about trying to get through that problem or over it. Yeah. And either they do, and it's happy, or they don't, and it's a tragedy, like Scarface. Mm-hmm. But it's, 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 there's some kind of reinvention that's trying to happen. Uh, and if you don't touch that vein uh, of raw struggle and feeling, uh, then forget it. You lost. You lost the race. You didn't make the sale. You didn't get the audience. You don't have the readers. I mean, here we are. I wrote this book about a little boy in a kitchen at a diner, and it's about cooking. And it ended up being about grief and struggle and loss and pain. And that's, you know, not what we started out to write, but that's what emerged because that's what works. That's what's real. Yeah. And and I actually do want to talk about that, of course, as well here uh, but in the last couple of minutes before we got to take another break, can we just talk about the state? Because you said, you know, as Vanity Press came to, to light and technology met up with demand and so mm-hmm. on, and anybody could put anything out. You know, of course, self-publishing is a double-edged sword. It's awesome that you can do it. But at the same token, there's no barrier to entry, which means anything can be put out. And sometimes that stuff is awesome. And sometimes it's really shit. So talk about yeah. just uh, the, the state. I mean, you've been published through traditional. You've been published, I think, through uh, sort of what might be called a hybrid um, and now you're actually going the route of self-publishing with your new book. Can you speak to yeah. one versus the other in the last couple of minutes here before we got to go to the break and why you ended up deciding, other than being rejected by 40 publishers, but why you still decided to go self-publishing and go that route with your with your upcoming book? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, we were this book was rejected, as you said, by 40 publishers, and, and you know, I, I didn't assume that they were all wrong. But what they all said was, we love this book. We love the characters. We love the premise. We can't figure out what the target market is. Well, I can help there. I know what the target market is. Target market is people who love personal development and food. There's just there's no shelf at Barnes and Noble called that. Mm-hmm. There's no category in Amazon called that. So <laughs> they couldn't see the path to, to publish it. Well, we can. The, the pub the self publishing market, as you said, it has the opposite problem of traditional publishing. Traditional publishing, the quality is going to be there. The, the challenge is breaking in is access. Self-publishing access is there. The challenge is the bar is so low. There's so many books that make me weep because I, my, my friends send me them in the mail, and they had a great idea for a book, but it looks like hell. And so no one's going to take it seriously. You know, we got to get, you know, you got to put on, on dress clothes when you want to put a, a book, a, an idea into a book. Sure. Um, so that, that is the challenge that self-publishers face, and, and it's, you know, it's a generation that will have to just grow up and, and, and be able to, 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 to bring that bar up and, and self-publish really class quality professionally produced books Mm -hmm. 
And while we got just another little bit of time here, talk about uh, from an advanced standpoint, what, what is the biggest advance that you've gotten on a traditionally published book? What, what sort of money we're looking at from your perspective? Wow. You know, it's amazing. Right after uh, the financial crash, it, it changed precipitously. I mean, there were advances of 100,000, 200,000. Half a million was the biggest advance I saw in the, in the pre-2009 years. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, everything crashed. It was like tenth the size. It's rebuilding now. New York is mm-hmm. digging out, and so advances get bigger than, are bigger again. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's, it changed, I think, forever. I got to you. some extent. I got you. All right. Well, look, we're, we're talking with John David Mann here as we are reinventing writing. And we're going to have quite a bit more here after the break. So more with John David Mann on Reinvention Radio right after this. One person has the power to change the world, impact millions of lives and leave a legacy for lifetimes to come. That person is you. In the New York Times bestseller, What is Your What? Steve Ulcher, award-winning author and founder of the Reinvention Workshop, reveals his proven process that has helped thousands of men and women discover, share, and monetize the one thing they were born to do. Grab your free copy now at www.whatisyourwhat.com. Dot com slash free. That's com forward slash free. And now, back to Reinvention Radio. Here's your host, Steve Ulsher. All right, welcome back to Reinvention Radio. Steve Ulsher, you now with Mary Belay. Hello. We got the one and only John David Mann on with us right here, right now. So, Right, as we're looking to reinvent writing, I mean, I would think that to some extent... No, reinventing words. Well, reinventing he loves writing, words. reinventing words. Okay, I'll let you and Kelly battle that one <laughs> yep. out for what we call it. Reinventing <laughs> writing with words. Reinventing words with <laughs> writing and all that. Stuff. But, you know, it's interesting because oftentimes some of the best works of literature come from people who are in very dark places or have had some significant emotional trauma or struggle or something of that nature i mean even like music you know i mean let's let's be honest here when you're creating a song you're you're writing i mean you're using words and so on so it's just a different expression other than something that goes onto a page you had some pretty well let's just call them what they are i mean you, you've had some pretty mm, far down the hole there lows over the course of your career and, and in terms of your personal life and marriages and crashes and this that and the other do you think you did some of your best writing when you were in that emotionally unstable place? No, no, I don't think I did. But I think that it's that after the fact that it has contributed to 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 better writing, to deeper writing, to more more real writing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's. I think it took me personally. I think it took me uh, years to digest those those terrible experiences and those losses. Uh, and you know, I, I've always felt like when when bitter winds blow and you know harsh things happen and tragedies happen in your life you can be like the tree that breaks i just saw that i was in the middle of hurricane irma i saw a lot of trees broke um, or you can be like the willow that bends and it's it's you know you get bitter or, or hopefully you get wiser and you could have asked me back when you know my first my first son died when he was like less than a year old and i was just barely in my 20s myself and i was a kid myself 
And I had no idea how to deal with that. Yeah. And for years, I had no idea how to deal with that. Uh, and then, as you say, I lost a couple of marriages. You know, I didn't look under the couch. You know, you lose a marriage. Where'd it go? <laughs> um, they crumbled. They they produced wonderful kids, so it was worth it. But 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 you know, they didn't last. I had a business fail. I had a bankruptcy. In the middle of any of those experiences, if you'd asked me, so how is this contributing to you being a better person or a better writer? I probably would have shot you a dark look or just shot you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but I, I think that as you know, you absorb those things. I mean, uh, there's, there's something that Emma Thompson, the actress, is alleged to have said in an interview. I hate to say it, but I prefer the company of people who've suffered. They're kinder. And yes. I don't know if they're kinder, but I think that, that, that there's a lot to that. You know, everybody has suffered to some mm-hmm. extent. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that, you know, one of the things that intrigues me and fascinates me and I was working on with this book is how to take the experiences of our lives that are tragic or difficult or painful and, and not get over them. I'm using air quotes here uh, or get past them, but but bring them with you in a way that, makes your life deeper and more purposeful and more and more fulfilling and and not just bitter and angry and do you do you find that most especially again going back to the electronic forms of communication that we have whether it be through email or social media posts and so on i mean i'm sure that you find or i don't want to put words in your mouth literally here but do you find that most people actually are pretty lazy when it comes to writing um yeah, I think so because there's not a lot of there's not a lot of distinction between writing and rewriting and refining and crafting. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I put as much time into a blog post sometimes as I have into a book. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's also lazy thinking. You know, and here's what I mean by lazy thinking. I distinguish two two ideas. One is blame, and the other is impact. And I'll give you an example. Uh, something very light and non-controversial: slavery. Uh, slavery happened. Thanks, we have this thing called the Civil War. Yeah. We're still having a conversation. I lived in Charlottesville, Virginia, for 20 years. Wow. So, and when this thing happened in Charlottesville, I was like, holy cow, this is a perfect place for that kind of ugly thing to happen. Mm-hmm. We're still having a conversation about blame. Well, you know what? What we're not having a conversation about is impact, that the impact of, of that centuries-long experience of slavery is real, and it's still echoing, still reverberating, like thunder in the hills. And it's not the, – the, the conversation about blame, to me, is an irrelevant conversation. The conversation that's relevant is about impact. What's the impact that that experience has had and is still having, and how do we address that impact? Uh, and, and so, to me, the, the conversations that you see fly on social media that get the most attention are just lazy. They're lazy thinking. We're not thinking this through all the way, and what's, what's the real story behind it? Mm-hmm. And so to that end, I mean, as someone who has put out three books, and, and I will say that I'm not egotistical enough to take credit for the words on that page. I don't know where they come from. I think just with music and, and with writing and so on, I think it just kind of yeah. flows through you when, you when you channel it or you get into that, that state of mind. I'm not sure exactly how to explain it. But I do know that even yep. though I've written three books, I, I still don't consider myself to be a writer. I think that anyone can write but I think that very few of us are actually writers. How, how do you distinguish between writing and being a writer? I, a writer is someone who, um, who is committed to taking this all the way. And by taking this all the way, I mean doing whatever it takes to, to make it as good as they can possibly make it, um, to take it to as, as fine a finished form as they can possibly do. I mean, I was a cellist for a while. 
But now I'm just someone who used to play the cello because I, I didn't take it, you know, to, to the to the ends where I, I dropped it. I put it aside. I don't feel any guilt about that. Just what I did. Uh, but a writer is somebody who is committed to bringing all their personal resource to bear to to doing as as perfect a job as they can personally do and making that the most effective communication they can. So, John, this is Richard. I was going to ask you, I'm a believer that for the most part, people can learn almost 80% of anything in 90 days and take the rest of their life to learn in the next 20%. So would you basically say that theme would go across the whole thing? If you're playing in the 80%, you're, it, it's not until you're working on that mastery of that next 20% that that's what you are. Is that kind of what you're saying? Like if you're committed to writing or if you're committed to baseball or you're committed to whatever you're working on, that mastery piece, is that kind of what you're saying is the commitment? I, I I never thought of it that way with the Pareto principle with it and with that, that eighty twenty thing going. That's kind of a cool thing because I could see that. I can see that 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 being accurate. I'll give you an example. Um, you know, Steve referenced the book The Go Giver. When we took that first manuscript to New York, it was rejected twelve times. The, I'm so glad because if any one of those twelve had said yes and bought it, none of us, none of you guys would have ever heard of it. It wasn't ready. It, it, and where it was was it was eighty percent ready. It was a there was a good book in there somewhere, but it, it wasn't ready. And uh, I, I guess that's a great way to say it, Wade. Uh, uh, I'm sorry, that was Richard yes. saying that. Yeah, and I also um, think that there's yeah. a difference between being a writer and an author. And mm. I, when I wrote, got published my couple of books, I said, you know what? I'm an author. I'm not going to, you know, Hemingway is a writer. Yeah. Right? So, but I'm learning my craft as, you know, people who keep doing it. I don't want to discourage anyone from getting what they really want out of them. And then, as to your point, John, going back to it and bringing it deeper, fuller into a book that, yeah, I you mean, know. Absolutely. I mean, because there, there, there are people who are lovely, wonderful writers and that's, who, who ha, will never have never and will never write a book. But, man, do I want to read their blog posts. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let, let's do this because unfortunately we're. We talk uh, to him for hours. I know. I know. I love his energy, hours, especially since we all love uh, you know reading and, and writing as much as we all do here. So look, we could we could talk and maybe we'll have you back on at some point when the new book comes out and uh, and, and continue the conversation. Tell Bob we said hi. Tell Bob we say hi. Right, but um, <laughs> but in the mean, do it definitely. In, in, in the meantime, here if people want more information about you and uh, to get in touch with you. What's uh, what's the best thing for them to do? So I, I funnel everything through my website, which is just my name. It's uh, www.johndavidmann.com. Mm-hmm. So J-O-H-N, David, M-A-N-N.com. And definitely check out what he is up to in the world. And awesome having you on. And best of luck with the new book. And uh, and you'll be self-publishing that book. So I, I'll be really curious to have a conversation a few months after it comes out just to see how that route went for you. But awesome sharing uh, your wisdom with us here, my friend. I appreciate you doing so. JohnDavidMann.com, reinventing words here on Reinvention Radio. And we'll talk to you guys really, really soon. Take care. You just got dismantled. Thanks for listening to Reinvention Radio. For more information about the show and your host, Steve Olsher, visit ReinventionRadio.com.